We're finishing up a series today called uh, Better Now, and it's based upon the whole idea that uh, Jesus said to his disciples when he was here on earth, that it was actually better that he would leave. Now, most of us think that's counterintuitive. Most of us think that it would be really great if Jesus himself walked in today. He would answer all of our questions. We would get to see him work, and that would be fantastic. But he actually said it's better that he leaves. Today, we're talking about life outside the box. When you think about boxes, boxes are great, aren't they? I love walking into a closet where everything is in boxes and everything is labeled especially when the labels are accurate, right? Which I know that's a tall order for many of us. Isn't it more? It's really frustrating sometimes. You see the label and it says, this is what it is. And you look in and you go, that ain't what it is. Who put, who put it? Where is it? What box is it in? What some of you don't know about me is that I had a lot of boxes in my history. I worked my way through college at UPS. For six and a half years, I saw about five to 10,000 boxes flood my way every morning. And we'd load them in trucks, and then for about a year and a half, I actually delivered those, uh, delivered those packages as well. And there's one thing that I just got to ask. How many of you like fruitcake? Boy, you know, we've had about three or four in each service that like fruitcake, and yet it was the strangest thing. At holiday times, I loaded thousands of fruitcake boxes, you know, because boxes are great. Not only do they order our lives, but they also transport things and they bring us gifts. And sometimes they're gifts we like, sometimes they're gifts that we buy for ourselves, and sometimes they're just fruitcake. In fact, I think that probably half the uh, half of the uh, landfills in the country still have fruitcake from the 80s that's edible. If you just want to dig a little bit, you can probably find it. You know, sometimes we approach um, our faith a little bit like boxes. You know, boxes bring a lot of order. And there's a part of approaching our faith like that that's actually okay. It's actually good. I mean, think about it with me for a minute. God, this God who created the entire universe, who created the cells in our bodies, who created the molecules, there's so much order in life, isn't there? But yet it's so easy for us to sometimes approach our lives just with that box. But what we're going to talk about today is the fact that while the Bible does say God's the same yesterday and today and forever, what he's the same about is his nature and character. We can box up his nature and character because it's always the same. God is always standing ready to forgive when we ask it. He's always kind He's unimaginably patient. He's always good. He's always loving. But you know what? We're talking about this thing in this series about God sending His Spirit and learning to be led by His Spirit. And when I look at the Bible, I don't see the Spirit operating very predictably. Think with me for a moment. Look at Abraham. Most of us have probably heard the story of Abraham, the patriarch of the Old Testament, the guy of great faith, the guy who God came to and said, I'm going to through you bless you and your, your, your descendants will be as, as numerous as the sands of the seashore. You're going to be a great nation. And he lives 90 years and doesn't have any kids. Then he does have a kid by a miracle, but it still takes two more generations. The second generation after that, the third generation is when they actually grow to 12 people. We're making really good progress towards a nation, aren't we? 
And then those 12 people, they end up leaving this land, this promised land that God gave him, and they go to a place of respect and privilege in a foreign nation only to become slaves for 400 years. Now, if you heard God say to you today, I'm going to make you a great nation, would you predict that that's the route? Would you expect that's the way he's going to take you to get to that promise? See, God and the way he leads us through his spirit is not predictable. God is always loving. His character, his nature never changes. But he likes to surprise us and is unpredictable in the way his spirit leads us and moves through us. But you know, boxed religion can be really attractive to us. In fact, the Israelites boxed up religion. They boxed up religion in this thing called the ark. Now, granted, God originally appointed this ark of the covenant that we have in the Old Testament to be a place where his presence and his spirit resided in a greater measure, a greater power. This was a tremendously wonderful thing. But throughout the course of of Israel's history, we see them actually taking that and the way they live it is it just kind of became this box of God's presence that was off over in this holy building that you did certain things with. And as long as you did the rules right, as long as you followed the rules of the box, things were okay. But it didn't really necessarily affect our everyday life all that much. And how did that work for Israel? It didn't work very good. But that's the way we approach religion so often. We really want to box everything up and understand it. But we can't. In fact, when we box religion up, sometimes it becomes our attempt to harness power or harness prosperity or harness wealth or harness goodwill or harness peace somehow. And we put it in this box. And as long as it stays in the box, we tend to feel good about it because we have this power. I want to show you right now a clip of some people who tried to tamper with the box that had the power in it and see what that did to them. Go ahead and look at this. Now, I really wanted, and a bunch of people before the service today begged me to show the melting faces, the high-tech graphics, but I couldn't show it because my wife has watched this three times and never seen the melting faces, and I figured I couldn't make it happen now to make her force to see that. Now, this is not all theologically 100% correct and all that kind of stuff, but you know, God doesn't want to live in a box. His power is way too much for a box he wants us to learn to live outside of that today we get to celebrate god's presence and god's power today we celebrate pentecost 
This is a day that's been celebrated for nearly 2,000 years. It was one of the first Christian holidays to be celebrated all the time. It's the day when God's Spirit comes to us. The same power we see in a box in the Old Testament comes to live in us. That's what we get to celebrate. We stand in a long tradition today. But if we treat today just like a tradition, just like a memorial we'll be doing ourselves a disservice because the same Spirit that was there at Pentecost is the same Spirit that God wants to give us today. Now, what is Pentecost? Pentecost, actually, the word just stands for the 50 days. It just means 50 days. And even though we as Christians tend to think of Pentecost as a Christian uh, celebration, it preceded Christianity. It was actually a festival that the Jews uh, conducted as well. In fact, it was one of three festivals that the Jews had each year where all the male Jews from all over the world were asked to come to it. So it's a very, very big deal. And the original Pentecost for the Jews celebrated two things. It celebrated the giving of the first fruits to God and his work. You see, God all throughout history has asked us to give our first and our best in money, but also in every area of our lives. Because the reality, honestly, folks, is if we don't give our first and our best and we just give God leftovers, what does that really say about how submitted we are to God? What does that say about our relationship to God? It's not that I'm sitting here like even in this moment asking for money. I'm just talking about relationship with God. If the God of the universe asks for our first and best, but we can't give it to him, what does that really say? Pentecost also celebrates another thing. It celebrates when the Jews came out of, uh, out of Egypt to the mountain of God where the Ten Commandments were given. Everybody's seen the Ten Commandments, the, the, you know, the guy who played Ben-Hur, all that kind of giving of the Ten Commandments stuff. You've seen that. Well, Pentecost actually celebrates that in the Jewish tradition. It is the sealing of the Old Covenant. It is the sealing of God's promise through the law to bless them if they'll follow His law. Pentecost for us today is the sealing of the New Covenant. It's when the Spirit of God was given. It's when the church was inaugurated. It's when God said, I'm ready to go. In fact, it's interesting to me that Pentecost for us in the church tradition is one of the three major holidays we celebrate as well, and it's the one that's most often overlooked. I've overlooked it most of my life. We usually celebrate really big time Advent and Christmas, right? And we celebrate Easter pretty big as well. Pentecost is actually the last, if you really think about it, the last great thing God did. I mean, God's continually always doing wonderful things. He's always doing great things. But as far as the big story of faith and God's interaction with humankind, Pentecost is the last really big thing he did before he comes back again to wrap it all up at the second coming. It's the big thing that he gave to them and gives to us to say, now run with this until I come back and everything is set right and finished. It's a really, really big deal. We're going to read about the story of the first Christian Pentecost in Acts 2. Now, I want to give you just a little bit of background on this. Luke is the writer of Acts. He's also the writer of the Gospel of Luke. 
And if you read the gospel or you read Acts, it opens, it opens up the text saying uh, to most excellent Theophilus, that he's writing to this guy called most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent is the title. In that day, that title was reserved for somebody who was a very wealthy, high-level government honored official. We know this guy that he's writing to is really important. In fact, also because of the context of what he's writing there, we know most likely that Theophilus was a patron, the guy who paid Luke to travel to research and do personal interviews with as many people as he could who could give firsthand support and evidence to what's written in Luke and Acts. So when we read this in Acts 2, we have to remember, Luke has probably interviewed not only all the main players that we see, but probably some of the people around him. So he's recording their observations. Acts 2 starts off in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they, meaning the disciples, Jesus' main set of disciples, were all together in one place. Now, They've probably been there 10 days. In fact, we know they've been there 10 days since Jesus ascended, left earth, went into heaven. And think about this. Put yourself in their shoes for a minute. 10 days before this and even before that, 50 days before, Jesus has been talking all through this time period about it is so important for them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, that this is going to be better than anything they've ever experienced, that they should just wait until this event happens. Now, back up a second. These guys walked with Jesus for three years. They saw the Spirit's work through Jesus. They saw dead people raised. They saw people healed. They saw Jesus know things about other people that he had no way to know other than God telling him. Not only did they see Jesus do that, but Jesus sent them out. And they saw the Holy Spirit use them to perform miracles, to deliver people from demons, to do those same acts. So put yourself in their shoes. Ten days, ten days they've been waiting for this thing that they've already had a taste of, and Jesus says it's going to be a whole lot better. Can you imagine the anticipation and the excitement in the room? Verse 2, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. This sounds really predictable, doesn't it? really comfortable, really within the realm of what we would expect, right? Suddenly, you know, my wife is really skittish. When I walk home, when I walk in the door at home, I usually have to walk in and open the door quietly and I'll walk through the house because I don't know where she's at saying, honey, I'm home, honey, I'm home. I'll try to say it in the nicest, softest voice I can because even then when I do that, half the time when she finally hears me, she will shriek. Now, my kids have a heyday with that. They don't even try to make it comfortable for mom. Can you imagine this event? Suddenly, the Holy Spirit comes like this nice, gentle, peaceable, comfortable gentleman. No. It says, he comes like a violent wind. How many of you have ever heard a tornado? Imagine the sound of a tornado in 3D, surround sound all around you, going off like crazy. This is not 
comfortable. This is not normal. This is not predictable. And this is, this is feels and sounds dangerous. And remember, Luke is recording people's observations. These are people he's interviewed who have said, this is what it sounded like. Not only the 12 disciples, but he probably also interviewed some of the people who were around him that day who came to faith because of the circumstances of that day who heard the same things. The power of God was able to be sensed, described, felt, and seen. And they had no frame of reference for it. It could be seen. It goes on in verse 3 saying, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Let's back up again. God is so amazing in the way He plans this. When God sealed the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, what were the people led by? The nation of Israel was led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God actually set up this demonstration to lead them through the wilderness. And now when he sends his spirit, he sends little pillars of fire onto each one of us because he is just concerned, just as concerned today about having us be led by the spirit and understand what he wants us to do and how to follow him as he was in the Old Testament. In fact, it's even more personal. Instead of having to, you know, three million people, instead of having to stare at this pillar of fire from miles away, this comes to reside in you. God is so invested in you knowing how to follow him. It goes on to say in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then it says, and I don't think you have these verses. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And then it goes on in the next couple of verses to basically say there were 15, at least 15 different people groups that Luke, or, that Luke recognized with different languages, ranging from Rome to the Libyan area of northern Africa, all the way down to Somalia, south of Egypt, all the way up to Turkey, all the way across to Iraq and probably Iran. There were people from all over the world there who saw these lower class, uneducated Galileans declaring the wonders of God in their own language, knowing that that was impossible. It goes on to say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? But some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. All throughout the Bible and through my experience as well, When God's Spirit moves in unpredictable, uncomfortable, even, let's just face it, this is a little weird, isn't it? This is not normal. When He moves in those ways, people tend to have one of two reactions. We either ask questions and we become curious and we press in and try to understand what God's doing. Or we have to explain it away. Box it up and make it nice and neat so it fits over here in our grid and we can just shove it aside and dismiss it saying, ah, this is just, these guys are drunk. Dispose of that uncomfortableness, put it away. 
But Luke, again, the recorder of other people's observations says, regardless of people's circumstance, everybody was going, what's up with this? What's going on? This doesn't sound like a predictable God. Predictable in his goodness and his character, but not predictable in his actions. Now, Scripture all throughout is not, doesn't necessarily have everything that, that God's Spirit comes and does, like miracles and stuff, looking strange and weird. I mean, we see Jesus walking along or, or the apostles walking around. And we see stories of them where they just kind of walked along and it was almost kind of casual just praying and somebody gets healed. And it was just kind of normal, all except for the excitement of the person getting healed. We also see sometimes where God speaks to them and lets them know something about someone and they just kind of share it almost like you would in a normal conversation. It's not always weird, but here's the point. We can't say that it's not always going to be weird and we can't say that it's not going to be weird either. God refuses to be put in a box. Sometimes he does stuff suddenly that's way out of our comfort zone that feels weird, looks weird, looks strange, that people can legitimately say they look drunk or they look out of their minds or they look something else, and yet it can still be Him. And as long as we approach life with a box on the Holy Spirit, we will have a hard time learning to be led by Him in the way He wants it to be true. I mean, let's just face it. We at Quest believe that the Bible is true. We believe it's inspired by God. If we believe that, then we have to admit this stuff if we're going to be honest, not just with the principles that the Bible teaches, but the stories that are told. If we look at both, there's no way that we can put a box on the actions of the Holy Spirit or predict Him. We simply need to learn to be led by Him. Now, you know, I've spent a lot of time pondering this and over the years, and, and I think that there's probably more brilliant people who could say it different and better than I can and all that kind of stuff. In fact, what I'm about to say may actually be putting God in a box, so I'm a little nervous to say it. But as I ponder the unpredictability of the Spirit, I've come to at least two conclusions, and I hope I'm not putting them in a box. One is that I think God is unpredictable in the way His Spirit acts with us, just like He was unpredictable with Abraham and so many other stories throughout the Bible, simply because His goal in relationship is to never be a set of rules to us, but to be a living person. And He wants us to be consistently, 100% utterly dependent on Him. So I think sometimes He just tries to be unpredictable so that we stay completely dependent on him other times i think he's just simply unpredictable because he's a funny god he likes to laugh he likes to laugh at us he likes to smile he likes to do something that tweaks us and then two or three years later we realize wow god was really in that and he goes yeah i was that was a lot of fun to do that so what are the benefits what can we expect to be different in us when we learn to continually be filled and led by His Spirit? Verse 14 goes on. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully, Peter says, to what I say. 
These men are not drunk as you suppose. After all, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he goes back and quotes a prophecy from Joel given 900 years earlier that all of the Jews would have recognized as a messianic prophecy. This same Peter who 50 days before denied Jesus, this same Peter who 10 to 15 days before this was kneeling on a beach thinking that uh, he could never be good enough for God to use again, he could never be the leader that Jesus said he was going to be, so he might as well just bag it, give it all up, and become a fisherman. This, G- this Peter now stands up in front of the same people who when Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, crucified Jesus and says, I am claiming that Jesus is the Messiah and this is what he promised and this is what he's doing. And the prophecy goes like this. He's quoting it from Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Not just a few, not just the priests, not just the people who stand on the stage. He's going to pour his spirit out on all of us and we can expect these kinds of things to happen in our lives as we're led by the spirit. We can expect him to bless us with these things so that we can be a blessing to others. All of these things we can expect. He goes on a little bit, but the point here is, look at Peter. I mean, the Holy Spirit almost always on us brings boldness. It brings us the the comfort and the confidence and the peacefulness to be able to say bold things, even life-threatening things. Back up a minute again. Imagine yourself there on that day. You hear the sound. You hear it. You see the tongues of fire. You're going, am I the only one seeing that? Is anybody else around seeing that? That's probably what you're thinking. And you are from an English-speaking country hearing these poor peasant Galileans declaring the wonders of God in your language fluently. These guys look like a bunch of drunks. It looks weird. It looks crazy. You're not sure that you're not even crazy because of what you're experiencing. What's your first reaction? Is your first reaction to explain the things away because it's uncomfortable, because it's weird? your first reaction to box it up and say this can be explained this way okay I'm okay or is your first response curiosity and hunger for the spirit of God it goes on to say that 3,000 people declared Jesus their Lord and leader that day they repented of their sins asked him to be their leader received the Holy Spirit you know as much as uh, a lot of times when we read this passage, the issue of tongues stands out for a lot of people because it's weird. Let's face it, tongues is weird, okay? I don't care what you think about it. I don't care whether you believe it's for today or not. We believe it's for today. It's weird. It's just weird. It's strange. It's not predictable. It makes no sense to us. 
But sometimes when we get focused on that, we lose the whole point because we read this passage and we think, yeah, there's obviously a connection between tongues and the Holy Spirit. That's undeniable in the Scriptures. But when we focus on that, we miss the main point. The main point is not the tongues. The main point is not any other gifts, whether it's prophecy. And, you know, let's just define that real simple. It's not, you're not, we don't expect anybody to prophesy Scripture because the Scripture is done. But God does speak to you sometimes for other people to bless them. He does speak to you about speaking to other people. That's the kind of prophecy He wants to do through us, to bless other people through us. But it's not about the gifts. The gifts are only enablements of the primary purpose. The primary purpose of the Spirit coming is that we can, with God, dream God's dream. And His dream is about everybody experiencing His goodness. The parts of Him that never change. And everybody experiencing the joy of living a life led by this unpredictable, surprising, awesome, wonderful Spirit of God that He gives to us. 3,000 people came to God that day, not because Peter's message was so great. It really wasn't. I mean, he didn't have any cool graphics, thanks, Josh. He, he didn't have a full band. He didn't use any cool illustrations. He just said, this is what it is. Why did 3,000 people come? Not because of his great preaching but because God's presence is there. It's God's presence, people experiencing His presence and His goodness of His presence that convinces people to follow. It's not our words. Our words can help. He can use our words. The next few verses sum up what the Spirit did through the 3,000 who came to Christ and show us the evidence of being led by the Spirit. Verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves, these 3,000 people, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And closed in that little, one little verse are some pretty good habits for us. Then it goes on to say in verse 43, Everyone was filled with awe. What's our level of awe of God? What's our level of awe? Awe involves expectation. It involves anticipation. It involves praise. It involves amazement with what He's doing. What's our level of expectation that God is going to be involved in our day-to-day living? That He's going to help you solve that problem tomorrow at your work. And He's going to use that to bless somebody else around you. That He's going to speak to you and you can speak His words to somebody else. That He might even tell you something about the guy you've been praying for at work who's just a knucklehead that would soften his heart because you'd know something about him that only God knows and He wants to show that guy how much God loves him. What's your level of expectation? goes on to say, And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. 
Every day they continue to meet together in their temple courts. Don't worry, we're not going to have church services seven days a week, every day a week, unless we just have so many people and we don't want to build a new building that we have to have a service for, you know, a weekend service on Mondays. Maybe we'll do that. But they met together. They did life together. They broke bread in their homes. And I'm sure as they broke bread in their homes, they probably had people who were neighbors, who were friends, who were not yet in the faith, who had not yet come to a decision, who lived life with them, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We have so many conceptions about the power of the Holy Spirit. But these verses show us, in a nutshell, that when we are led by the Spirit, the focus becomes on just a few things. One, we get focused on praising and worshiping God because we're just looking for Him and excited about how He's breaking into our days. Two, we expect the miraculous to break into our daily lives. We expect it to be there. We expect Him to show us things that we couldn't know without Him showing us. We expect Him to do things through us that we couldn't do without Him doing it. None of us can heal someone. We would expect Him to do that. Three, there's outrageous generosity and sacrifice and commitment to be, the, to be examples of the generosity and the goodness of God to others. It's not just a little bit. It's outrageous generosity and sacrifice. There's an intense focus on blessing our community extravagantly through service. And when we do all four of these things, not just the ones we like, not just the ones that we want, because when we box up our religion, we tend to choose the things that we really like and leave the other things out. But when we are led by the Spirit and we're doing all these things, we're, we're seeking, we're worshiping God, we're expecting and seeing Him break into our lives on a daily basis in miraculous ways, we're, we're outrageously generous and outrageously sacrificial with our money, with our time, with our talent to bless others in the work of God's kingdom, and we're outrageously generous and focused on serving the people in our community who don't know Him because... That's God's dream, and we love being a part of God's dream. When we do that, then we get to see people added to the number daily, like they did there. This isn't just something that happened back then. This isn't just something that was for those first apostles to jumpstart the church, and now that they've got the whole rocket ship off the ground, we get to trudge along in our little go-karts in the mud trying to hopefully make it out. The same spirit that is back then is the same spirit each and every one of us have received today. You know, it's so easy sometimes to get focused on how imperfect our churches are, the conflict or the disappointments with various decisions or, or our pain. You know what? The first church had those same things too. That's the reason the Bible talks about maintain the unity of the Spirit, not little s, big s. Maintain the unity among all of us of being led by the Spirit to be gracious towards one another, even in the midst of all our frustrations, our pain, and our difficulty, and our disagreements. And God will do amazing things. How big is God to you? 
Some of us think he's big just because we have a big box. But how big is God really to you? What's our daily expectation of him leading us and breaking into our world to bless us so we can be a blessing, which was the promise given to Abraham and the promise that's given to us? Let me move towards closing by using an analogy to kind of describe maybe the difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you're familiar, the Nile River in Egypt has this amazingly big dam called the Aswan High Dam. This dam is huge. It's 375 feet tall, 11,000 feet wide. It took 17 years to build When they opened it up in 1971 and turned the 12 turbines on, they produced 10 billion kilowatt hours of electricity that could light up all of Egypt from that one dam. During the building of the dam, the river never stopped. They never held it back completely. Even when the reservoir was filling, they allowed water to flow through because everybody downstream made their livelihood from it. There were fishermen, there were farmers who depended on it for irrigation. There were tourist people who depended on, depended on, the, on the Nile being there for tourism. People depended on, on it for water source. All the while, they were being blessed. That's like the Old Testament. The whole time, God was blessing Israel. God was moving by His Spirit. But Pentecost is like the day that the turbines and the dam were inaugurated. And all of a sudden, there's these, not just the blessing of the water, but there's these 10 billion kilowatt hours of electricity that could bless people in ways they never even imagined. The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is that we would take the light of His grace and His glory to the nations to change our community, to change our state, to change our country, to change the world. And yet sometimes I think I fall into this trap of I I get so focused on life and so focused on what's going and so focused on my inability to explain how unpredictable and how big God is that I try to end up putting him in a box and and it's a little bit like me having this little 100-watt bulb that I plug into this 10 billion-watt kilowatt source and I get 100 watts of light and I'm happy with it. When there's... 10 billion kilowatt hours waiting for us. We've talked through this series a lot using the terms practicing the presence of God. This thing of learning to be led by His Spirit is something we have to practice. So what? Today we got, 10, we got a 100 watt bulb. That's better than nothing. Let's keep practicing. Let's see if we can get a 150-watt bulb. Let's see if we can understand His presence more. Let's see if we can let our boxes go to the side just a little bit more and let God out of the box, our box. He's never going to stay in a box, but we, we keep Him there. And let's see what He'll do. We started off this series, and we've repeated it almost every Sunday, the verse where Jesus says, it's better that I go away and that I send the counselor who will lead you into all truth. You know, for most of us, and me included a lot of times, 
I tend to trust my commentaries or my books or other things about or my rules about how we do church to lead me into all the truth rather than be led by the Spirit. Because the Spirit sometimes is like Pentecost that we just talked about today. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's suddenly. Sometimes it's violent. Sometimes it's weird. Sometimes it's embarrassing. So we go back to our box. And we like to define our box. We like to define our life that way. But Jesus says, it's better for you that the Holy Spirit come. He will lead you into all truth. He will teach you things that I have not had a chance to teach you yet. Jesus trusts the Holy Spirit enough to lead us into all truth. Why do we trust our books and our rules and our ideas more than the Spirit? Why do we not trust the Spirit to lead us even through what may seem uncomfortable and weird at times to all truth? I think that's the invitation for us today. I think that's the invitation of Pentecost to live lives completely surrendered, completely dependent on Him. Would you stand with me? Now, you may not be ready. I'm running way over. I'm going to try to expedite this for people that need to go, but I also want to not not go too fast. I want to invite you, if you are ready and willing and able to pray a prayer with me that we're going to have up on the screen. The prayer basically summarizes in a prayer form to God everything we've talked about the last four weeks through this series, just asking God to do this stuff in us. Now, having said that, if you are not ready, comfortable doing that, I don't want you to do it. One of the things I want to protect in who we are here is I want people to make and do actions when they are ready. I invite you. I hope you're ready, but if you're not, that's okay. You don't have to feel isolated or left out because of this, okay? But if you're ready, I want to invite you to join me in praying this prayer. And it's a long one. It's three screens full, so would you just... I know sometimes it's hard reading to focus on God. Would you just do your best in reading this together, all together, and focus on God? God, I come to you through the work of Jesus to ask you to forgive me for so easily boxing my faith into what I can understand and control. Forgive me for any ways I have spoken ill of others or harbored resentment that has caused your spirit to be grieved. I continually surrender leadership of my life to your spirit. Lead me, Lord. Help me to keep in step with your spirit. I trust you, Holy Spirit, regardless of what it looks like, to lead me into all truth. I ask, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would fill me now and continually. I ask that you would give me at any time any gifts of your Spirit that would bring your joy, your goodness, and empowerment to myself and to others and help me to anticipate you showing up in the unexpected and mysterious things that you do so I would bring glory to you by seeing others experience you, your love, and power. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and for going away so that your spirit would come to abide in us. Come, Holy Spirit. What do we mean when we pray that? What do we mean when we pray, come, Holy Spirit? 
The Catholic Church sign, I noticed this last week, says, Come Holy Spirit. What do we mean by that? How big is our God? Lord, I pray that You would make Yourself big among us. Lord, we're so prone to put You in a box. And we're so prone to judge others and and judge our own life by this box. But Your Spirit calls us to be agents of Your grace. Conveyors of Your light and Your truth in ways that we have no ability to do in and of ourselves. It's only You who can do it. Lord, I ask that throughout the week, this day, throughout every moment, that you would continue in each one of us this journey of learning to walk more in your light, learning to walk more in the power of your spirit, to let you out of the box, to love one another, to care for one another, to be outrageously generous and sacrificial, even when others don't deserve it. Lord, that you would be glorified. Come, Holy Spirit, minister to us and through us. In Jesus' name. I want to invite you, we're running over, I want to invite you, if you have time and want to, to stay in worship, you're free to go. Uh, We're done. Um, I want to invite you as well to practice the presence. And I have a simple, specific illustration and request this morning. You know, we've made some bold claims. We believe that God can heal. Don't understand why he doesn't always heal, but we believe that he can heal. I'd like if you are here today and you have an issue that you want prayer for, for healing, let's just practice and see what God will do. You know, if you've got an area of pain or, or direction that you need the grab somebody and have them pray for you and, and when you pray for them take a moment and just silently wait and ask God is there something you want to say to this person and then say it tentatively in case you're wrong we're practicing okay but let's learn to be led by the spirit if you need to go we're dismissed if you want to stay and worship and pray for a little bit feel free we're going to sing a song as everybody uh, leaves or stays whichever your choice is God bless